The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. You're watching the Friday edition of Squawk Box. You've got Karen Cho to my left on the screen. On the right on my screen, it's Jeff Cutmore. And I'm Steve Sedgwick. These are your headlines. U.S. equity markets, well, this is interesting. They closed sharply lower, led by Meta, as the Facebook owner loses more than $230 billion in market value. That's a new one-day record for Mark Zuckerberg. But U.S. futures jump really jumping, boosted by Amazon and Snap, as strong earnings from both sent shares sharply higher in extended trade. The White House accuses Russia of preparing to fake an attack as an excuse to invade Ukraine. As the US ambassador to NATO tells CNBC, diplomacy is still an option. The Russians know they can sit and meet with us when they're ready for another round. But in the meantime, because of the buildup, because of the fact that they're not de-escalating at the moment, NATO allies are going to prepare for every single contingency. Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey tells CNBC the path to higher rates is still clouded by an unpredictable growth outlook as a minority of MPC members push for a bigger 50 basis point increase. Wrong. Grounds that we for saying we will we will have to do something more, but I think the debate for me between 25 and 50 was more about how do you behave in a world of very high uncertainty, facing of course a very substantial inflation. Nice chat with uh, producer Mike today, who's got the reins on the show, about whether what we're seeing at the moment is turmoil or volatility. He was in the turmoil camp, I was in the volatility camp, and I'll explain to you why. I believe that what these markets are seeing at the moment is actually responding to individual stocks, to actually responding to news rather than some huge momentum trade going on. And as such, I see that as volatility responding to events, which is healthy rather than turmoil, which I think comes with a caveat of pessimism about it. Whereas I don't think that's what we're seeing. I think we're seeing some really strong moves based on the news flow. And that is good news for those of you out there who are day trading, because it's actually a lot more logical than just following one big momentum trade uh, on a week-by-week basis as well. The market moves over the last 48 hours, and let's be honest about it, has been about two stocks. I think it's fair to say that we can talk about ADP and jolts and initial jobless claims and payroll later today till we are blue in the teeth. But the fact of the matter is that's all important stuff. But this has been about Facebook and it's been about Amazon. And that's why my first two headlines were about plummeting values on the back uh, of Facebook, uh, where you've got the consumer, a big pardon, uh, communication services sector down 6.8% and the S&P uh, down 2.4%. It is all about that one stock, really, and what it did to sentiment, what it did to the sector. Today's movement, before we get the payroll, and that will be important later on, is going to be all about another stock, another one uh, of those mythical five or six companies that dictate the fashion of the broader markets. It's going to be about Amazon. 
Karen and Arjun are going to talk to you until they're blue in the teeth about Amazon moment. And it's fascinating. It is really fascinating when you dig under the bonnet of what's going on at Amazon. Really quite amazing company in many, many ways. But I just want to bring up one factor before we... We can have a look at Meta while we're doing it. Let's just have a quick look at Meta. There you go. There's Meta, down 26 billion. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, he's a record breaker in many ways. Well, he broke a record for Facebook yesterday. They lost over $230 billion worth uh, of market value. Fell 26% year-to-date, down 29%. Let's move on to US tech. I'll make the point, just showing you the individual names. Down across the board, look, Amazon was down 8%. Why was Amazon down in that session 8%? It, it wasn't because of anything Amazon did. It was all because of the sentiment around this one. This one is more about what it's doing itself and the problems that Netflix are having. But are Netflix problems going to be compounded or lessened by what Amazon did in the last 48 hours? I'll just pretty much say to you what I want to say about Amazon. And I'm going to tie it to one other thing. If you are confident enough to raise prices to 150 million American households, because that's how many have Prime accounts, there's 200 million globally, give or take. If you are confident enough to raise prices from 119 bucks to 139 bucks, that is extraordinary in the current environment. That, by the way, and this is the point I want to make, is a 17% price rise. So all of those of you out there who think, oh, we'll get 25 basis points and we'll get five uh, rate hikes this year, or maybe we'll get eight rate hikes this year. If those of you who think that is going to put the Fed right ahead of the curve because of the transient nature of inflation, you are in cloud cuckoo land. One of the biggest companies in America has just told 147 million households you're having a 17% price rise. That is not transient because I tell you what, that one ain't coming back. They're not going to say, oh, do you know what? Our logistics costs have gone down a bit. Our worker costs have gone down a bit. We're going to cut the price of Amazon Prime uh, in around about six months' time or we're going to cut it in 12 months' time. That ain't going to happen. It's only the third time since 2005 that Amazon have done that. 17% all you transients out there. That's nothing to do with Ukraine oil prices. That's nothing to do with Russian aggression. That's nothing to do with COVID. It's, but the fact is, they think that they can get away with it over a longer term and they're going for it. And do you know what? They will get away with it, won't they? Let's be honest about it. Let's move on. Right, we can talk a lot more about the individual bits of Amazon in a moment with Karen and Arjun. Let's have a look. Uh, what are we looking at next? US, Asia, Asia markets. Come on, let's have a look at those then. Here we go. All across the board, up across the board. What do you think that's about? I think it's about Amazon. I think one stock lifted the sentiment after hours and that has just set off a bit of a bull run. Opening calls for European markets, they're going up as well. Zetradax called up 59, FTSE called up 45, FTSE MIB called up 70. FTSE MIB's been beautifully behaved despite the fact that it's been a bit of a pig's ear at the top of this week, really, where an 80-year-old man has had to carry on as president because no one else could agree in the mainstream political spectrum as well. What that does further down the line is fascinating. US futures, out of vision, let's have a look. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rod. Told me just in time. Uh, 323 points up to the upside. So look, I'm going to hand over to my dear friend who's going to tell you about another stock and then get back to Amazon. Hello, Aunt Karen. Good morning, Steve. I think this is a fascinating one as we take a look at some of the social media platforms. And we had the big narrative from Meta about the competition coming through from the likes of TikTok and some of the fading pandemic trends. And the rival companies, the likes of Snap and Pinterest, just did not stick to the narrative. And we saw some very wild after hours action as a result. So Snap shares have skyrocketed about 60 plus percent in extended trading after the social media firm reported its first quarterly net profit as a public company. Snap beat analysts estimates across the board. 
During Thursday's session and prior to releasing the results, Snap shares had plunged 24% as Facebook's disappointing earnings hit the sector. Snap rival Pinterest followed a similar pattern with shares surging 20% in extended trading following better than expected fourth quarter results. But despite an earnings beat, the image sharing service saw its monthly active users decline. Pinterest had been caught in the wider tech sell-off during normal trading hours, plunging 10%. And now to Amazon, those shares surging in extended trade after the e-commerce giant posted a 9% jump in fourth quarter revenue, coming in at $137.4 billion, while earnings per share came in well above expectations. Despite slowing sales, Amazon is giving investors reason to be bullish thanks to ongoing growth in its cloud unit, rising prime prices and its major stake in EV startup Rivian. And let's get on to Arjun for more. Arjun, Amazon uh, putting its uh, flag in the ground along with what we saw from the likes of Apple and Alphabet, that it's faring okay. It explained the increases in prices way down to better content coming to the platform. But, you know, if you think about how the investors view this at the moment, they want to see companies that have pricing power in this type of inflationary environment. And Amazon demonstrated it has that power. You're absolutely right, Karen. That's exactly what Amazon did. And I'd argue that for the earnings report, it was really that $20 increase. That was the star of the show when it comes to Prime. And, and just back to Steve's point as well earlier, you know, Amazon feels the confidence at this point in raising the prices for Prime. And if you think about it, you know, a few years back, Amazon really was nowhere near the quality of content and offerings that Netflix had. But it's invested very heavily over the past few years in content, uh, not just uh, original content as well, but sport uh, as well, which has become a big area uh, for Amazon. You've got the huge uh, multi-million dollar budgeted Lord of the Rings series coming up later this year. On top of that, it's music, it's books, uh, it's the fast delivery as well. So Amazon feeling at this point is confident enough to be able to raise those prices and for people to stick with the service and draw in new users, which of course is very extraordinary. I think that was really key to pushing those prices higher, as uh, the share price higher in after hours trade as well. But of course, there were some other bright spots for investors as well. AWS, always a key focus for the market coming into Amazon's earnings report. It was closely watched revenue in at $17.8 billion, but it was that growth rate up 40% year on year, one of the fastest quarterly growth rates we've seen in a long, long time. And again, you are seeing Amazon take advantage of that trend towards digitization. More and more businesses becoming digital, looking for cloud services. We saw that strength as well mirrored in the reports from Alphabet and Microsoft when it came to their cloud division as well. And for the first time, Amazon broke out its advertising red revenue. This has always been seen as sort of a side business for Amazon, but it's not small. It's $9.7 billion business in the quarter, and that was up 32% year on year. So again, giving investors a bit more clarity into this business, which is growing quickly. Amazon now the third biggest digital advertiser in the US. So again, very strong. Now that was enough. Those three things, I think, for investors to overlook some of the more negative points, that big drop in operating income because of the high costs, as well as the slow uh, revenue increase up 9% for the uh, quarter overall, one of the uh, first single digit growth rates since 2017. So those three things, cloud, advertising revenue and AWS, Karen, really enough to drive that share price pop in our for hours trade. Arjun, thank you very much for running us through that. And 
I'm going to circle back to the implications now for the markets. I think we could all see this one coming yesterday. We saw the after hours action very early on on the back of Meta, the implications for the other big social media companies and for the Nasdaq. And what we played out in session was very similar to what we expected because of the earnings disappointment. But the question from here is what do investors do? And we already know, we've heard from some very large fund managers saying that they think that there's a buying opportunity around some of these big growth stocks, that even if they're buying, that they do expect it to be bumpy. And that's what we are seeing. We are seeing opportunities here. If you had a stock like Snap, I mean, saw an after hours trade 60%. That's quite a trade for the stock to be down 20 or percent in session, but to be caught high by 60%. I mean, these are huge uh, portfolio trades if you're on that particular one. And I think that's the opportunity for a lot of investors at this point. If you get the calls right, you can have outsized portfolio performance this year. You're not going to be following the herd. You can actually have a breakout year. But if you get it wrong, you can have an incredible downside year too. And I think that's going to be the challenge from here. Uh, The other points too, I mean, it was quite a big day for central banks again. Not necessarily as much for the Fed, but we saw it coming through from the ECB, from the Bank of England. This was uh, something that the uh, US investors paid attention to. And you saw that yield driven higher as well. So the backdrop was, I think, a little bit challenging for more broader tech names as a result of the, the challenge around yields and inflation. Jeff. Yeah, let me ch- let me just change the, the the theme slightly because you're you're talking about opportunities, Karen. What I see from here is much harder going, and it, it seems to me that investors are just going to have to work a little bit harder here to try and find return. And let's bring together two things. One is the macro. Uh, and one is the micro. And we know at a micro level, as you've been pointing out, and as Arjun has been talking about, there are differences in the performance uh, numbers that we're getting from these major platform businesses. And of course, because these businesses are so enormous, whenever you get an outsized um, uh, number in terms of earnings, uh, something that doesn't match the expectations, you inevitably get an outsized reaction. And I think, as Steve pointed out, that's the 230 or 250 billion shift in market cap that we've seen from Meta as a result of the announcement it made. So you've got the calculus of large numbers happening And that ultimately means that you do get significant moves to the upside or the downside whenever something happens around these big tech companies because of the amount of money that's just tied up in the projected earnings of these businesses. But I want to talk about something else, and that's the macro, because whilst you've got that issue of can these companies perform and deliver and meet these very lofty expectations, the macro is shifting. And it's shifting because of the conversation that I had yesterday with uh, the Bank of England governor. It's shifting because of what Christine Lagarde didn't say about holding the line on no interest rate rises this year. And it's shifting because of the concerns that uh, the market has about what the Federal Reserve is going to do. And it's shifting because the ADP number yesterday showed the first uh, drop in payrolls last month in a year. It's shifting because the ISM numbers showed that uh, American company export orders uh, seem to be rolling over and the data seems to be slowing. And it's shifting because the refinitive fund flow data 
for the week ended the 2nd of February showed large cap ETFs reporting a $9.4 billion outflow. That is the largest outflow in 53 weeks. So the market is moving and repositioning to what it sees, I think, as the, uh, in inverted commas, opportunity going forward. And the funny thing is, that money didn't just come out of uh, equity funds or fund products. It also came out of money market funds, $21.4 billion taken out of money market funds last week. That also, I think, indicates that there are some investors now who have decided that they don't they just don't want to play while there is this much volatility in the early part of the trading year so i think it does feel like the terrain is getting a little tougher to negotiate from this point in which is why i think the non-farm payroll number today is going to be fascinating does it reconfirm some of these slowing trends even as central banks are talking about hiking real yields Or does it indicate actually that there is some resilience and strength in this uh, current uh, economic cycle? And actually, this is just Omicron-related opacity around the the job story. So many interesting currents and trends that we're going to talk about through the rest of the morning. Let me uh, take us to break, though, at this point and point out to you the Bank of England hike rates. The ECB stood pat. But markets are starting to think that Madame Lagarde could be for turning when it comes to the interest rate story. We'll tell you why when we come back. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. Right, welcome back. The Biden administration, the Biden administration is bracing for a dismal jobs number. Uh, okay, when the NFP report is released later today, monthly payrolls are projected to come in at just 150,000 down from 199,000 in the month before. Now it's the worst reading it will be on the headline figure since December 2020. I I have a problem with with that because I I hear what my producer is saying. I hear what the the broader market is saying. And, and, you know, I've seen Goldman's and others saying it could be a negative figure and this is because of Omicron and the service sector getting here. And we saw that with the ADP. But but a dismal figure doesn't include the following. Okay, bear in mind, look at that. If you can see a reiteration of a 3.9% unemployment rate, compare that with anywhere in the world, by the way. Compare it with the Eurozone, compare it with what we're seeing globally as well. I don't think that's a dismal figure. If we can see a reiteration of the fact that earnings are going up for your median salaried employees to the tune of a half a percent on the month, I don't see that as a dismal figure. Now, look, I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, I've looked at for 33 years now, unfortunately, I've been around that long. For 33 years, since 1988, so nearly 34 years now, I have been looking at the payrolls. Excuse me, I've just got to get this thing in my ear properly. Okay, right. And it says 150,000 positive here as well. It is random. I don't even know why you trade the first flash on that one. 
This is important. This is important. This one here, if it was here, it would be the participation rate. That is important. This one here, if it was here, not with the U and the J, it would be uh, very important because it's your average hourly, uh, hourly working week as well. So look at it in the round. Don't look at that random payroll figure at the top there without looking at the others. It is an important marker, but it's not the only marker, okay? We're better than that, aren't we now, you lot and I? Yeah. Okay, well, the unemployment rate, as I say, is expected to stay at 3.9%. But my point here as well is, I love this coin flipping in the air, this dime flipping in the air and trying to work out which way it falls. And it's happened every day this week almost. Jolts, really tight labour market, talking about huge numbers of quits and loads of jobs available compared to those people looking for work. Really positive. ADP, really negative. Oh my goodness me, if we get a follow through of the 300,000 uh, figure uh, that we saw from the ADP in the private sector report, uh, that's going to be really negative for the jobs report. So everyone started marking down the numbers. Then yesterday we get the initial jobless claims, which were fantastic really, uh, compared with what we saw pre-pandemic and certainly during the pandemic as well. So you've had three pieces of jobs data already this week. Forget about all the other stuff like the ISM services sector and what have you. Three pieces of data. Uh, and it's been pretty contrary stuff as well. So how you make a call on what your actual, any analyst out there, all you economists out there, you geniuses who think you should run the world, you all know that that first figure is utterly random anyway. It's the ones where you can actually build a consistent picture. Yeah, the two that are missing here. Uh, then they're the ones worth looking at. Let's move on. Uh, I'm going to ad lib the dollar index. Here you go. I think the dollar index has been down this week, isn't it? 2% down. I can't even see on the screen from there, but I think it's been down uh, 2% on the week so far. But the 10-year yield just popping again to 1.84. Right, let me get to a man who knows way more about central banks than I do. In fact, he was actually in a central bank yesterday talking to a very important central banker. Hello, Jeff. Uh, good morning, Steve. The ECB and the Bank of England then taking markedly different approaches to tackle a similar problem here. The two updated markets on uh, dueling decisions and press conferences just minutes apart. The Bank of England, as you know, raised rates to 0.5%, the first back-to-back -back rate hike since 2004. The decision was split with four of the nine Monetary Policy Committee members voting for a larger 50 basis point rate hike. Well, I spoke with uh, Andrew Bailey and asked the governor whether the market had misunderstood the finer details of the decision. I would certainly say don't get carried away. Um, we, I, I was, as you know, on the side of, uh, of, of raising by 25 basis points, by a quarter of a percent. I, I think, as I, as I, you know, I think our minutes say, there is a likelihood we will you know, have to raise again. My, my view in, in taking the view that we should only raise by 25 basis points at this point is that I think we have to go in steps. Um, you know, we get a lot of data coming in. You know, we, will, we will have a lot of data coming in by the time we next meet. Uh, we'll begin to see the, you know, the reception and the effect of, of, the, of the move we've made today. And it's right to, to, to take those steps gradually because there is a lot of uncertainty around at the moment. There is a lot of uncertainty in our, you know, in our forecast of the economy. And we've got hugely volatile energy prices at the moment. We've got an uncertain situation around us in the world. And so we need to, you know, my, my, I was strongly on the side of saying, in a world of very high uncertainty, which is what we're in at the moment, there's a strong case for sort of going step by step. And I therefore do not have a view in my head as to how many steps we'll be taking. It, it seems the market's misunderstood the level of ambiguity that you're actually putting into your commentary here. 
Well, I think, I don't know. I mean, markets, in a sense, of course, have to reach a view um, on what we're going to do in the future. I'm afraid we're not going to, t- we're not going to tell them the answer because we don't know the answer at the moment. I, I think I, I can well understand um, that a 5-4 vote um, would have conveyed a message initially that, well, they're on the way, as it were. And, and I would say, look, um, I think there are you know, grounds that we, you know, for saying we will, we will have to do something more. But I think the debate for me between 25 and 50 was more about how do you behave in a world of very high uncertainty, facing, of course, a very substantial inflation shock. Don't get me wrong. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.